pastor was serving a Manhattan church that was dying. Every Saturday morning, early, he uh, was searching for peace in the midst of the death of his church. He would get early, he'd get on the subway early, and he would make his way down to uh, Central Park. And whether he was walking, looking at the birds, feeding the ducks, reading the newspaper, or reading a book, he would spend his day searching for peace. One morning, early, he got on the subway, and he had his paper with him. He was ready. A father and three young boys got on the subway car. Typically, he was by himself that early in the morning, but not today. The boys began to run up and down the aisle, up and down the aisle, screaming like banshees. One of the boys stole his newspaper and threw it to the other end of the car. And he looked at the father who, with his hands in his lap and his head bowed, said, Sir, you are the worst father I have ever seen. Would you get control of these boys? To which the father replied, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. We just came from the hospital. My wife and the boy's mother just died. And we're having a little trouble this morning. This pastor would say that it was the last time on Saturday that he went to Central Park. And on that particular Saturday, he didn't make it. He spent the day with a young father and his three boys. He would say later that he still looked for peace. But more than that, he looked for need. And guess what? The church began to grow. That's what I want to talk about today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be, be acceptable in your sight. Lord, uh, may these words be your words. Hide me behind the cross, O oh God, that all who worship here today may see only you. And we thank you in advance for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. What Jesus sees. What does Jesus see? He says there in chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, most of the time we see the surface Jesus looks deeper. What if we saw like Jesus? What if we had the eyes of Jesus? What, as we look at the future, what if we could see this church, its future, like Jesus sees? And here's how Jesus sees. Let's break down that passage for a moment. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion... For them. He had compassion. The Greek word there is a word I cannot pronounce. It begins with spegsh, anyway. 
It means to be moved in your gut. Not just compassion when you are stopped at a light and there's a guy there with a sign that says, we'll work for food. You know, I feel sorry for that guy. To be moved in your gut to action. And the reason? Because they were harassed. (laughs) I love this word. Skullo is the Greek word. I can say that one. The word literally means to be filleted. To be skinned. Now, most translators are a whole lot, you know, they're... They're better, I mean, I mean to say, because the crowds were skinned and filleted, that's, that doesn't really translate in a place like this. I mean, we're nice people, right? We're harassed. But my guess is there are some here today that feel filleted. And I know there's people out there. And helpless. Ripto, beaten down, depressed, scattered, helpless. You see, Jesus sees with more than eyes. Jesus sees with more than eyes. When he looked at Nathaniel and Zacchaeus and Matthew, he didn't just see a fisherman, a tax collector, a ta- and tax collector. I mean, he, he saw beneath the surface getting to know people, their hearts, their souls, their hopes, their dreams, their fears. Jesus felt their hunger for recognition, attention, or just to call a name or to touch. Jesus knew that no one was perfect. And he shows us that in who he called the most imperfect group of 12 that we could possibly imagine. It wouldn't be the group that I would call. Hmm. He accepts us as we are and calls us into places that we don't think we can ever go. And for me, it's all about perspective. To see with Jesus' eyes is, is about perspective. It's about the two salespersons that went to Africa. And one, after about three days, telegraphed back, send me a ticket home. Nobody here wears shoes. Have I told you this one before? Okay. The second one, they lost track of him. A week passed, two weeks, three weeks. They thought maybe he'd gotten in with some headhunters or something. They, they had no idea. Finally, they get a telegraph. Send more order books. Nobody here wears shoes. There are so many people that don't know Jesus. So many. So many. So what would Jesus see today? And what if we see what Jesus sees Several years ago, there was a campaign. Uh, it was kind of trite, and yet it caught the, the imagination of the Christian community. What would Jesus do? WWJD, 
bumper stickers, WWJD sermons, WWJD this and WWJD that. What would Jesus do? I think it's a good question to ask. What would Jesus do with us, with this church, with our future? I, I told you last week I was going to lay out a vision. I don't have a plan to lay out for you today. Oh, I've got all kinds of stuff going on in the back of my head. But when I look at the Bible and the words of Jesus, I hear his vision calling us. What would Jesus do? Jesus would start in prayer. First, pray. We will pray. I'm going to say that again. We will pray. There are 650 prayers that are in the Bible. 25 of them are prayed by Jesus. He prayed during his earthly ministry constantly. Before meals, before important decisions, before temptation, before healing, before calming the storm, before raising the dead, before sending out the 70, before and during his crucifixion. And before it was a prayer of submission to God's will, not my own. He prays for the coming persecutions of his followers, for those who would follow after them, and then for us. For all of those who would follow Jesus. We get a feel for Jesus' pattern when we look at Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 39. After he celebrated the Last Supper, Luke tells us this. He says, and he came out and went as was his custom. The Greek there means as he always did. As he practiced. It was his custom to pray. There was not one situation, one circumstance, one place, one time where Jesus did not first pray. We will pray. I know that's the legacy of this church, but let's put it on steroids. And see what God can do. Let's look closer at Matthew chapter 9. That was read for you. It says here, Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. To teach, to preach, to heal. What would Jesus do? To preach, to teach, to heal. To proclaim the word, the preaching of the word through what we do in here. Word, sacraments, and music. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Worship. We will worship. Where the proclamation of the word is made. Where the music of the soul is lifted. For the sacraments of our Lord are shared. 
we will worship. And by the way, a form of worship, the word both in Hebrew and Greek, is mentioned 8,500 times in the Bible. 8,500 times. Do you think that the Scriptures are telling us this is important? 8,500 times. What excuses do we have? Do we have 8,500 excuses? Hmm. Uh, what if we made worship number one? Number one. And I'm not just talking about in this church. I'm talking about in our lives. In our lives. In our families. Several years ago, I was, uh, I was uh, having dinner over at the, the parish council chair in, in the, in the uh, Hopkins County Parish where I was serving and and I and I said to the oldest daughter, she's like sophomore junior in high school, and I, I said to her, I said, Does your daddy make you go to church? You're in church every day. And she looked at me and she said, No, he doesn't make me go. It's what we do on Sunday. A sixteen year old. It's what we do. What would Jesus do? To preach, to teach, to heal. We will teach. Jesus was teaching in their synagogues. And when we look at Acts, I mean, they are going about it. We look for a, for a scriptural vision for this church. We will pray, we will worship, and we will teach the word of God. And there's many ways to disciple, all kinds of ways. The point is, if we are not growing, we are dying. What's the old saying? You're either growing or you're ripe and dying. <laughs> hmm. The time has come to look with new eyes on how we share the ways of Christ. No stone left unturned. No effort spared. No person left behind. Finally, what would Jesus do? He says that he went about healing every disease and every sickness. At the root of the Greek word for healing is serve. You probably weren't surprised about that, were you? <laughs> to, I, to say I believe with all my heart is to promise to serve with all my might. And I believe that the new church of the coming revival, and I believe there's a coming revival I truly believe it. And I believe that that revival will not pl take place in the, in the great cathedrals. That Am I pointing in the right direction? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> but in places like this, where people can call each other by name, and be there when they are hurting. And pray for them by name. 
when there is a need for prayer. To stand shoulder to shoulder. To serve those who are filleted. Those who have been skinned in our society. This, this is where the revival begins. Here in this place. We will serve that they may know we are Christians by our love. Finally, what would Jesus do? One more thing. One more thing. What would Jesus do? He says there at the end, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. To send out. To send out. Can y'all say this with me? To take the good news of Jesus, the love of God, even I'm saying it wrong, (laughs) into every neighborhood. Isn't that that what we're doing? To take the love of God into every neighborhood. Into every neighborhood. But what if we did it with the eyes of Jesus? With the eyes of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice, and and help me out here if you can find it. Anywhere in the Bible, Jesus does not say, Stay at church and hope people will find the Lord. Jesus did not say, just build bigger and better buildings and they will come. Although we do need buildings in order to do ministry. I'm not uh, disrespecting that too much. But if that's all we do. Jesus didn't say, fill the calendar with church events. And then people will be saved. Oh, and we need ministry, and I pray that our calendar will be full. But if that's all we do, Jesus said, Go. Jesus said, Go. And the last words of Jesus, and each of the Gospels, and as quoted by Luke and Acts, Go make disciples, go into all the world. You are my witnesses. Feed my ship, sheep to the ends of the world. Now, now, I believe that at the core of this church's DNA is, is, is that kind of passion for others and for sharing Christ. It is at the core of our culture, our existence. It is a passion Let's name it. Let's claim it. Let's, let's live it. Let's inject it into everything we do so that we evaluate what we're doing as a church. Are we sharing Christ? Are we bringing people to Christ? Are we helping them grow in their faith? And if not, mm, I believe. Our world needs Jesus now more than ever. I believe we have been lulled to sleep by our affluence, our toys, and our media. 
I believe that people are hungry for new life in Christ. I believe it's time to get uncomfortable and prayerfully take risk and move into the future God has put before us. I believe that the time has come for us to open our eyes and see as Jesus sees. I believe the future is now. Sue Smith and I were talking this morning, and I don't know how we got on this, Sue. But as she was talking, I was going, you know, that's, that's exactly right. Well, what she said is that there is a move of the Spirit coming. There is a revival. There is a, an awakening coming. And, and I, I, as I look at history, <laughs> I mean, it is coming. All the pieces are in place. And it may be the final awakening before Jesus coming for his final coming. But this is what she said. That awakening and its posture will not be this. It will be this. Can you see it? Can you see people coming out of the trees of materialism as Zacchaeus came out of a tree to join the spiritual revival that is coming? Can you see the people leaving their water wells as the woman from Samaria left her well that well of empty existence to gather at the waters of sacred salvation baptism? Can you see people leaving the, their nets as the disciples left their nets? Those nets of joyful existence to cast new nets, to fish as Jesus fished, To pray, to worship, to teach, to serve. Can you see it? It starts with us in this room. And God has placed just the right people at just the right time in, in this place. And, and I pray that we won't be the only church. I pray that we will be a part of a mighty movement that will sweep across this nation and around this globe. And I would, I would hope that we would ask this question. What if every member was worshiping every Sunday if they weren't sick? What if... Every member was growing in a Christ-centered group. What if every member was serving somewhere? So much so that when we came in these doors, we'd be asking our members to sit in the foyer so that our guests and those who, uh, who might come to know Christ would have the prime seats and that we would see at the end of every service people crowding to the altar that we would, we would have so many people coming, not just to join the church, but to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that we would have to keep the baptistry out.
and filled in anticipation. That when we gather together in core groups or Sunday school classes, that we are constantly dividing and multiplying because people are hungry. That when we, that when we serve, that we're not anxious about whether or not we're going to find t- enough people to do the jobs, but that we are anxious because we're gonna, afraid we won't find enough jobs for all the people that want to serve. Can you see it? Yes. Uh. I can see it. You know where I see it best? In you. In you. Fred Craddock tells a story about a man that came into a restaurant where he was eating dinner there in in, in Georgia. Uh, he was teaching at Candler School of Theology. Great homiletics professor. This guy walks up to him. He'd been walking to every table. And he walks up to him and said, finds out he's a, a minister and a teacher. And he says, you know, he says, I used to know a boy that was an orphan that was raised by a single mom. And not only did he not know his mother, he didn't know his daddy. But his mama was what was most important to him. His adopted mama. And he said, you know, he was, went to church every Sunday with his mother, and it was traumatic. Because the kids in Sunday school would tease him with, who's your daddy? And he said he hated it when a new pastor would come, because the new pastor would, would ask him, who's your daddy? And he would just hang his head and drag his feet. Well, a new pastor came to the church, he said, and I, and I tried to sneak out so that I wouldn't be confronted by the pastor and I wouldn't hear that, that, and he would not hear that awful phrase, who's your daddy? And I couldn't. And the preacher caught me and he said, boy, he says, you're a good looking young man. Who's your daddy? The boy dropped his head and I guess that preacher saw like Jesus. Because he said, wait a minute, boy. He said, I see the resemblance. I can see the family resemblance. I can see who you look like. You look like our God in heaven, our Father. He said, you have been made for a purpose, God's purpose. And don't ever you lower your head again. And he looked at Craddock and he said, Isn't that great? Isn't that a great story? He said, because for the first time in that boy's life, he believed that he would amount to something. And he walked away. Craddock said to the waitress, he said, who in the world is that? He said, that's Ben Hooper. He was the previous governor of Tennessee, and now he lives up here in Atlanta, but he still likes to work the crowd. Who's your daddy? What if we pray like Jesus? What if we worshiped like Jesus? What if we discipled like Jesus? What if we served like Jesus? What if we loved like Jesus? I'm going to pray here in a minute. And after the prayer, I invite you to come forward. 
And we have baskets for you to put your commitment cards in, but I want to make this like just about putting these cards in the basket. I invite you to come to this altar to pray this prayer. Lord, what do you want to do through me? Not just with my money, but what do you want to do through me? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to be? And I invite you today to pray a risky prayer. And as you come, if you come today and have questions about your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to open your hands so that one of our pastors can come and pray with you. That you may have the assurance of faith. That you may have the assurance of your salvation before you leave this place today. Lord Jesus, I do thank you in advance for what you're doing and going to do. I thank you, O oh God, for how you're going to use this church. Give us eyes to see, O oh God, that we may be like you. Amen.